This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamar Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. Today we're going to be studying Psalm 24, actually about the first half or so of the psalm, verses 1 through 6. And this is a psalm that appears with quite a bit of frequency, actually, in our liturgy. Just to give a little bit of context, it is the psalm that is traditionally recited on Sundays, right? Each day of the week has a psalm, and this is the psalm for Sunday. I don't think we need to read too much into that. And the other place that it appears is when we return the Torah on weekdays. So on Shabbat, we sing a different psalm when we're bringing the Torah back to the Ark. But on weekdays, this is actually the psalm that gets recited when we bring the Torah back to the Ark. Le David mizmor, l'adonai ha'aretz umloa, tevel ve'yoshveva, ki hu al yamim yisada, ve'al neharot yechoneneha, mi ya'ale behar adonai, umi ya'kum bimkom kodjo, of David, a psalm. The earth is the Lord's and all that it holds, the world and its inhabitants. For God founded it upon the ocean, set it on the nether streams. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in God's holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not taken a false oath by my life or sworn deceitfully. He shall carry a blessing from the Lord, a just reward from God, his deliverer. Such is the circle of those who turn to God, Jacob, who seek your presence. Selah. So I want to just jump in by naming that this first line, that the earth and everything that it holds belongs to God, is a line that the rabbis often come back to. They see this as part of the source for reciting blessings over food, that actually everything that is in the world is God's and not ours. And so we have this like responsibility to acknowledge that and to get permission actually before we use it. So this is like a line that ultimately comes to ground like a lot of our ethos about the way that we interact with the natural world is this recognition of it not just being created by God, but actually like somehow belonging to God. And it comes into tension with other lines in the Psalms where it says, Hashamayim shamayim ladonai, the heavens are God's, v'ha'aretz natan livnei adam, but God gave the earth to humans, right? Where here it says that the earth and everything that fills it are God's, right? So there's this tension between like what is ours and what is of the divine. And this psalm really like lands us in the camp of it's God's, it's not ours. I think of the Talmud as people always having a back and forth and different views being debated is that other line of the earth was given to people? Is that like brought up from another camp to like debate this or? So the rabbis actually like put these two verses in 
disagreement with each other. This could be a text for a, for a future podcast. <laughs> but what they ultimately conclude is that this verse, that the earth and all that fills it is God's, that's the state of reality before we make a blessing over something. The earth in its natural state belongs to God. And then once we make a blessing over something before we eat it, then it becomes ours, right? That that's the moment where it transfers from being in God's domain to being in our domain. And that's how both verses can be true, right? The rabbis don't want to say right, there can't be a contradiction in the Torah because that's a problem for the rabbis. And so the way that they resolve that is by saying both are true, right? One is referring to the state of being before a blessing is recited and the other is referring to how things are after a blessing has been recited. That's so interesting. And I know we've already had a podcast about blessings, so this might be a little repetitive, but it's a beautiful concept that built into our days, we have so many minutes of pausing mm -hmm. that we don't go headlong into consumption. <laughs> but we have a moment to be like, okay, this is my brief pause between wanting something and then eating something or whatever else. Yeah. What other other bracha might be interception point? Mm -hmm. Um and depending on what values we're bringing to the fore, how do we interact with the earth based on that pause? That's the first line. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we're starting. <laughs> yeah. But I think part of our intention moving beyond that first line in bringing this text, right? So it obviously refers to nature in a few different ways, right? It refers to like the way that the earth is like founded upon waters the interplay between between land and water, both both sea and rivers. But then also this somewhat striking image of God's mountain and what that means and the way that that is tied in also with like a kind of moral behavior that's demanded of us. I imagine that this is intended somewhat metaphorically, <laughs> though I don't know, I'm not in the mind of the psalmist. But I think there is something really powerful about imagining that there's this part of the natural world or maybe the supernatural world, right? It's not clear to me if like God's mountain is like a literal mountain, right? Perhaps Sinai, right? Like we have that understanding of like, there is a place here on earth that is sometimes referred to as God's mountain. Or is this like some kind of like metaphysical thing beyond the world itself? I don't know. But the imagining that actually like that's not free open space that is easily accessible, but actually like requires a kind of upright behavior of people who haven't sworn falsely and somebody who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's how you access whatever this mysterious mountain is. The way that you access it is through just and righteous behavior. Right. And clean hands is definitely a metaphor because it could not be a metaphor but like yeah. based on other places in the torah that have talked about hands yeah this isn't like a you need to wash your hand um <laughs> but you should anyways yes yeah hygiene <laughs> hygiene is always good um and we have you know ritual ways of washing hands too but no this is definitely referring to somebody who like has been honest and upright it doesn't like isaiah talk about hands in the context of oppression you want to come give a sacrifice, but your hands are covered in, in blood. blood. Yeah. Right. So it's maybe about how you've treated other people. Yeah. The clean hands. No, absolutely. Okay. 
I was noticing like the pure heart is in Hebrew, far lave off. What do you think a good translation of that phrase is? Okay, so an expert in, in biblical Hebrew, I'm not. <laughs> okay. So this might be a little bit of modern midrash, but I think it's powerful and I think it will serve us. So we're gonna we're gonna run with it. In modern Hebrew, the word bar actually means like wild. Like wild in the sense of like of the natural world. Like right, mm-hmm. like not wild in the sense of like totally out of control, but <laughs> wild in the sense of nature. And like sometimes that also means wild in the sense of you know, uncontrolled. This is rendering that as pure, but I actually like love reading this as somebody whose heart sort of has that, A, there's maybe a connection with nature here, right? Like that they feel pulled and connected towards nature, but also just that sense of, I don't know if it's like innocence. I mean, I think purity is potentially a help word too, but like it's untilled. <laughs> now I'm like really in the in the natural metaphors. But I think there's like an openness and an honesty and a transparency that I think that this might be referring to. Yeah, it's very cool that, again, I also am not an expert, but at least the modern sense being wild, that this is brought in here where there's so much reverence for nature and like going into nature, going to the mountain. It's like your heart is still wild. It's still like very much connected Mm -hmm. to nature. What I thought of when you're talking is that I think the heart often in Judaism, just in modern times, is attached to emotions. Mm-hmm. And there's this sense, if we were to link it back to the clean hands being connected to like the way we treat other people, like are we treating other people with respect? There's a natural state of the emotions of the heart to reach out to others and to empathize with others and to really value the happiness or the non-suffering of other people. And sometimes people can kind of shut down that part of their heart. They shut off their ability to see others suffering and that allows them to do things to others and to have those effects on others Mm -hmm. that would not have clean hands you would not have clean hands at that point so maybe this is like your heart is still open to the people around you yeah i think i think that that's right and i think that like this text is imagining that that's sort of like the natural state of things right i think that this imagines a kind of purity that we have inherently that like there's a hope that we don't close that off right and one thing that I love about Judaism is that is never completely shut off, right? We always have the opportunity for repentance. It's not like you got your hands dirty once and like they can never be clean again, right? Yeah. There is a process of opening your heart back up. If you've shut it down through the years through various mechanisms, like you can achieve a pure heart again. That's why sometimes the word pure I don't yeah. like it yeah. because it has the connotation of like, once it's gone, it's, it's gone. gone. Yeah. No, but I think that's right. right. I don't think that the implication here is that is that there's no going back. I also think it's worth naming that that in the Torah, the word lev, the heart, is not only the seat of emotions, but also can be the seat of intellect. Hmm. That like the idea of like the divide between like the head and the heart comes later. And the Torah seems to imagine that we think with our heart also. Hmm. And I kind of love that too, right? Like, it's not just 
about like, okay, do I feel like a natural emotional openness? But also about like, how am I thinking, right? We have, I think, a little bit more autonomy, control maybe over our thoughts than our emotions. And so I think that this also challenges us about the way that we want to think and the perspectives that we want to take on in the world, as opposed to just what might be happening for us emotionally, that we can certainly cultivate, right, and sort of like move towards something, but don't necessarily have the same kind of control over. So possibly being open-minded. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. So it's like, treat people well, be open to other people and see what their experiences are, keep an open mind, and don't swear false oaths. So, you know, live honestly, have a sense of integrity, and then you can carry away a blessing from the Lord. And I think also, right, it's worth noting, it almost sounds to me like it's not a blessing that you keep, right? It feels like a blessing that you're bringing, right? You're yeah. carrying it away, right? And, and going, continuing with the imagery of the mountain, right? It almost feels like when you inhabit these traits, right, you somehow like go up this mountain and come back down with a blessing, right? It's almost like an image of Moshe, actually, uh. right? You go up this mountain, you come down with a blessing, but it's not just for you, right? Like it's actually about, which then also like makes sense when you think about, because like, of course, this is the kind of person who like brings blessing into the world. Right. And so it's not just like for you to hold on to hanging out up on this mountain with God and like, this is your new reality, but actually like you bring that down and you share it with those around you. Right. So to bring this back to the subject of our podcast, <laughs> I think having in mind like certain traits that we want to foster in ourselves and like encourage in others is helpful in all areas of life. And I think when we are working towards a change in a movement, it's extremely important to hang on to these traits. Because I think sometimes when you have a goal in mind, you sometimes think, oh, these other things aren't important right now. I don't have to be completely honest about this. It won't right. be good for this cause or right. something. Right, exactly. The ends justify the means. Right. Or like, I'm keeping my heart open to these people, but my heart are not open to these people. And I think that's where a lot of despair and isolation can kind of come in and bog people down. Yeah. I think also like another lesson that we can take from this is also about how do we how do we share that blessing? Right? Mm -hmm. So like when we when we like have a moment, right? When we feel inspired, when we feel connected to the divine, and when we feel like we're making change or we like understand something in a new way, right? How do we share that in a way that brings other people along with us? That doesn't just like leave us in some lofty inspired place. This is a movement, right? It's something right. that we all need to do together. And so like one person feeling really good about themselves that they did the right thing or learned something new or made a change in their lives doesn't necessarily help unless it's shared and unless it's shared in a way that can that can bring other people along and not to embarrass you too much. But I think that you're actually a really powerful role model about that, in particular about some of the ways that you've taught in our community, giving Divrei Torah and things like that, about like what it means to face the climate crisis with joy, right? And with optimism and with hope and like the way that we can actually motivate each other 
when we come from that kind of place as opposed to so often, you know, we're getting messages in ways that are like laden with guilt or like preachy or doom and gloom and like the way that all of those things can paralyze us and actually um, sort of teaching us like how we might move forward with hope in a way that can like actually bring more people along. Thank you. Of course. Thank you for teaching us. (laughs) I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.